Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We record this week's edition, episode 39, from the Queen's Club in London, home of the Aegon Championships, where the sun is shining, it is blue, beautiful sky, and myself, David Law, I am joined by Catherine Whittaker. We're here, we're ahead of the tournament, about a month out, Catherine. This is a beautiful scene, isn't it? It's glorious, isn't it? This is this is what people talk about when they talk about English springtime and the uh, the court is being the stands are being erected everything is it suddenly feels very close the Aegon Championships isn't it very close indeed we sit right on the edge of the courts here in fact we're sitting on the next to the the outside courts where uh, a lot of the uh, members are going through their paces at the moment see any any great talent out there Catherine have we got any uh, maybe wild card uh, entrants here there's some good veteran talent around isn't there there's there's some good sort of over 65s talent there is indeed I, I mean i'm not going to say too much because every last one of them could beat me i can assure you of that well the tournament will be getting underway uh, in a month's time and if the weather's anything like this it will be a joy to behold well before we get underway uh, with the uh, tennis chat in general here on the tennis podcast we would just like to uh, give our condolences to the family of ATP chairman Brad Druitt, who last week died from motor neurone disease aged just 54. Brad was universally liked and respected by everybody who came into contact with him in tennis, and it's desperately sad that Brad is no longer with us. He was only in the top job at the ATP for a short time, but even in those 16 or 17 months, he achieved a huge amount, most recently striking significant pay increases for the players with the grand slams and before that he served with the ATP for several decades and he will be hugely missed by everybody within tennis. Now we have had a busy few weeks uh, in the tennis world but uh, we haven't been here with you on the tennis podcast and the reason for that is because I've not been very well. Uh, Nothing serious, just uh, a hefty dose of man flu Catherine. (laughs) Doses of man flu are always hefty though aren't they? That's, that is the nature of man flu. That's right, yes. Uh, it's, it's sort of one of those where it's not that big a deal, but uh, uh, blokes make it into a huge deal. Now, uh, as well as all the, the on-court action, we've, um, we've had uh, some interesting news uh, in the politics of the game. And, and we mentioned Brad, of course, and the, the impact that he'd had on the prize money levels with all the slams and the US Open recently announcing huge increases, Paris following suit uh, a few weeks ago with slightly more modest increases. But the biggest surprise of the lot, Wimbledon, 40% prize money increases across the board from this year and 60% prize money increases for first round losers and for the opening couple of rounds. 
it's a huge statement, isn't it? I mean, Wimbledon, for all its um, tradition and for all that it savours and tries to hang on to its tradition, it is also one of the most forward-thinking uh, tennis tournaments out there and perhaps rivaled by the Australian Open, but pretty much the most forward-thinking of the uh, of the major tennis tournaments. So in that sense, it isn't a surprise that they've made this um, very progressive move, I suppose. It's very pleasing that the majority... that, that the the benefits and the increases weighted towards um, the well, the impolite way to put it is is the journeyman player. You know, the, the losers, ones, the, the ones that are just trying to make a living. You know, they're yeah. the ones that that really need it. Um, and yes, if you if you don't frame the argument correctly, it can seem a bit grotesque. In, increases in prize money when you know these guys are already earning obscene amounts of money at the top end as you say i mean exactly. the, you know the guys losing in the first few rounds most of them are struggling to even make a living struggling to make a living and also you've got to look at it as a proportion of of the money generated from these events and it's only right that the athletes get a significant proportion of of the revenues and the profits from these events and and i think though you know that was a bit out of proportion up until you know these changes were made so one of, one of the people that went on record immediately with a reaction to these prize money increases was the uh, the youngest player inside the world top 100 on the women's side Donna Vekic uh, just 16 years of age and uh, she was very pleased about this news and tweeted as such in fact she is uh, a guest on this week's tennis podcast we'll also be talking to her coach a long time coach of course of Tim Henman that's uh, David Felgate and we'll bring those to you a little bit later on but uh, Donna Vekic a really charming young woman uh, going places in the game very polite to speak to and, uh, and, and we look forward to hearing her on the show here with us on the tennis podcast podcast but yeah it certainly got people talking didn't it i mean the immediate reaction to those prize money increases were jaws were on the floor among our colleagues mike dixon um jonathan over and neil Harmon, people that i think probably went there expecting a good pay increase for for, for the players but this was way beyond what most people were expecting but when you think about how much money Wimbledon makes, and it's pretty much in line, isn't it? It's um, Wimbledon does make significantly more money than all of the other slams, so maybe you you would expect the in- increase to be significantly more. So time. hold on, a wild card now gets you about an extra nine grand or something like that. So how do I go about getting one? <laughs> You get better at tennis, David. Ah, okay. Is there nobody I can just have a quiet word with and say, you know, do you want to have a sort of six foot seven inch freak just teeing off from the baseline without any idea where the ball's going? We should speak to Goran about it, shouldn't we? He knows a thing or two about getting, first of all, getting a world card and then knowing what to do with it. Do you not think he has slightly more pedigree than I do? (laughs) Well, yes. What are you saying? But you know they also they do also give wild cards to unproven you know hot hot unproven? Dark, dark horses shall we say? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think I won't uh, I won't hold my breath for that wild card. But you know if um, if Philip Brook and maybe we can have a word with Tim Henman. He's on the on the He's committee, on isn't he? He's on the board. Friends in high places. That's yeah. all you need. Right, Tim. Um, I'm on my way. Uh, you know, get the coffee on. I'm going to see see if you can sort me out a wild card uh, now. Also, uh, some very interesting news in the uh, in the doping world, the anti-doping world specifically, in that Dr. Fuentes, so so often talked about in sporting circles over the last year, and has been basically struck off. And uh, the the big controversy was the fact that uh, the bags of blood that uh, that were found were ordered by the judge in that case 
to be destroyed. And uh, and as a couple of the players have said, that that's unfair to players who are clean, who now will never be able to lift the veil of suspicion. Well, Andy Murray has very strongly said that it's max of a cover-up. Whether that's the case, I, d- I don't know. But I know Rafa has been very outspoken about it. I mean, there's now going to be a question mark, however faint, a question mark over every successful Spanish athlete, I think, because it's well documented that he's worked with a great number of athletes. I'm sure that doesn't mean he was involved with doping with every single one of them, but I I know there were more than 200 blood samples that were destroyed, Um, and now it's the clean athletes that will will suffer, and uh, I think he's absolutely justified in being totally up in arms about that. You know, it's it's all the clean athletes' opportunity to to clear their names that's been destroyed. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, been pretty busy on the court as well, and we mentioned Rafa there. Came off the, the disappointment uh, in Monte Carlo where he lost to Novak Djokovic, a match that, let us remind you, Catherine Whitaker said was a, a marked shift in power in tennis on the clay courts and means that Novak Djokovic is now the favourite for the French Open. Well, Rafa on the Dallas said, in your face, Catherine, and he's gone straight to Barcelona, won the title, and he's back on course. He didn't beat Novak Djokovic in Barcelona, though, did he? And that's who he's going to have to beat in the final of the French Open. How do you know? I, I, I don't know. I'm predicting. I'm predicting. <laughs> I'm predicting with confidence. I think it's going to be Rafa and Djokovic in the final. I know it will depend on draws. But wherever he meets Djokovic, I, I, I would pick Djokovic as the favourite. Oh, come on. They, That's the difference. They I'd played each Rafa other against, last year in the final in the Rafa French Rafa against Open. everybody else still. They, pick, they played each other in the final of the French Open last year. Lots Rafa happened. and won. A lot has happened since then. A lot. Like what? Like Rafa being out for nine months. Oh, and he really looks injured, doesn't he? I mean, you know, I know he he's did, been injured, but he look. He did not look, this as I, as I said, you know, after that Djokovic match, I know he didn't look, you know, he wasn't limping or he didn't, there were no outward signs of any him being in any great pain. But I think he was running around his backhand less. He was hitting the inside-out forehand less. Yeah, but that's that's due in Monte Carlo in almost the first throws of the clay court season in Europe. Look at what happens when he gets to Roland Garros. He's, he's a different always player. He's done pretty well in the first throws of the clay court season before now, hasn't he? Yeah, I know that, but I mean, he's still a different player when we get to Roland Garros. Is, is he not? He is, and I would pick him against everybody at the moment except for Djokovic, and and that's that's the difference. Catherine's just not having any of my persuasion here. Uh, now, a man that uh, Rafael Nadal knows very well and probably would prefer that I didn't bring up is uh, Mr. Lucas Rossell, who uh, knocked him out uh, in that thrilling match at Wimbledon last year and has now finally started to, to pull his finger out on the ATP circuit. And he actually won the tournament in Bucharest on clay and, and, and said afterwards that he actually clay is, is probably the, the surface he feels the most comfortable in many. And... Rather touchingly, afterwards, he, de- he, he dedicated that victory to his father who'd passed away about 10 days before. Um, but it's great to see a player not just disappear completely after that amazing win over Rafa Nadal. And it was in danger of doing that, wasn't it? He wasn't really backing right. it up at all. But the talent is there to, for him to make a real impact in tennis. Well, he was on the precipice of disappearing completely. I mean, didn't he fail to qualify for, you know, first round qualies? Um, lost first round of qualies for several other subsequent slams and and went out with a whimper in the following round at Wimbledon last year after beating Rafa. So it did 
reek of that a little bit of sinking without trace so and there's no reason for that because he has the ability we've talked about it before that he is just a he's going to be a streaky player isn't he it's just how frequently he can put together those streaks and there are very successful streaky players flashy players at the top of the game Songa I think is one of them you know he's never going to be a percentage player Songa is he Grigor Dimitrov's another our very own I, I think Dimitrov, if he pulls himself together, can have more margin for error in his game than a Songa or a Russell. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I share those views uh, wholeheartedly, of course, here on the Tennis Podcast. Uh, Maria Sharapova has won another tournament as well, Catherine, in Stuttgart. But really, the player I want to talk about in that tournament is Bethany Matic-Sands. How about that? She not only qualified, she beat Janina Wickmeyer, she beat a, two or three other big-name players gets to the semi-finals and also reaches the final of the doubles. Fantastic performance from her, having you know, struggled with injury for much of the last 18 months. It's amazing what appearing on the tennis I podcast can do say, for you, isn't it? All this is is evidence of, of what an appearance on the tennis podcast can propel you to, the sort of greatness. That See that what you've got in store, Donna Vekic? You know, after appearing today, the world is your oyster. Not that you really needed much help from us, but there we are. Look at Bethany Matic-Sands. But uh, no, fantastic... Uh, performance from her we've also had uh, wins this week this last week uh, for Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova in the Portugal Open and uh, I believe she's actually guided by Martina Hingis isn't she yes I think that's right she is um, she um, has had a bit of a dodgy year hasn't she for a while there she was the highest ranked teenager in in the top 100 um, which is a, a very impressive stat and she she I think she had a lot of success because she was very strong physically despite her age. Um, but she's she struggled in the last year to fulfil fulfil the promise. So, but there's no doubt that she's she's got all the components. She is a strong, hard hitting player. You know, she's very much in keeping with with the modern game. So, It'd be quite interesting to see if Hingis can influence her with her own sort of court craft to add to all yeah, that hard hitting tennis they're very different players aren't they but then i think that's probably exactly what she needs court craft exactly she doesn't need any help thwacking the ball as hard as she can she's she's got that covered she's five months in catherine who's the player of the year so far because there are two contenders and i i've gone for the man who's won munich as my player of the year so far, which is Tommy Haas. Beat Philip Kohlschreiber in the final in Munich. Uh, Stanislas Vavrinka, meanwhile, won the tournament in Portugal, uh, beating David Ferrer in the final. And a few people on Twitter have gone for Vavrinka as their player of the year so far, ahead of the first or the second of the year's Grand Slams, of course. But Tommy Haas beat the world number one Novak Djokovic in Indian Wells, got to the semi-finals, wins Munich. The bloke's about 50. OK, he's 35. <laughs> Oh, I I know this doesn't make for very good listening, everyone, but I completely agree. Tommy Haas is my player yes. of the year. Yes. I think he's I I, I think he's a sensation. I, I think, and I've said it before. He obviously just the only reason for him to be doing this is because he loves tennis and he really wants you know, he really wants to be on tour. Most people at thirty five with a couple of kids and they've they've done it all before countless times. They wouldn't be able to find the motivation. Um, but the fact that he's still doing it and he's still doing it with such success is it's a, it's a joy to behold really it's it's really something um, and 
Yeah, he must just be having the time of his life. He does look quite happy, and he's also got, he's got his daughter around with him as well. And uh, we heard from him, of course, on the tennis podcast. Another piece of evidence that he wins Munich just a few weeks after appearing on the tennis podcast. So listen, top players in the world, if you're going through a bit of a dip in form, get yourself on this show. That's what we're saying. But uh, yeah, just a couple of views here. Stuart A says, I'd be tempted to give Vavrinka uh, my vote. Uh, and a, a few people have, have gone with that. Richard Gasquet is the vote of Verity Buckingham. A lot of people have talked about the way both Gasquet and Vavrinka are starting to look like players going into another level. And Vavrinka particularly, I think, stands out ahead of Gasquet for me because of that match he played against Novak at the Australian Open. I was... I was watching and listening back to that a, mm. a few days ago and just remembering what an immaculate performance he put on that day and let's face it he could have changed the whole history of the tournament if he'd have just you know within a few points that's how close he was yeah that was that was the closest match of the and and also that's something that could have really dented him for the rest of the year or certainly for a few months afterwards wasn't it a, a loss like that and it absolutely hasn't i think um, a nod to his uh, his demolition of Murray in uh, in Monte Carlo as well. That's worth a mention um, as evidence of him having a great year. I have to say, um, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, everyone, um, Djokovic is playing Dimitrov tonight. Who is he? He is. So, uh, yeah. Uh, is it tonight or is it tomorrow? Well, anyway. Uh, so Prediction. Well, I do. Obviously, I predict Djokovic to win, but I think Dimitrov has a chance. And if if he wins that match, I uh, I change my Player of the Year. Oh, blimey, Catherine Whitaker on the fence. Uh, just with that little caveat that if Dimitrov beats, hold on a minute. What about Djokovic for Player of the Year? He won the Australian Open for goodness' sake, and he's the clear world number one. Oh. And he's just thrashed Rafael Nadal in the final of Monte Carlo. How come he's not your Player Hang of the Year? Hang on a second, that's turning it into a trick question, isn't it? I mean, the question isn't best Player of the Year because yes, that's, it just, is. that's just asking what the rankings. That's just all well, right. Well, no, it's the overall. Now. It's the overall Player of the Year so far. Now, Haas for me is the is the Player of the Year because. Because you know he's basically got his bus pass out because he's so yeah. old. So it's it's quality of talents balance, balanced against uh, circumstances, which rankings don't take into yeah, account. Yeah, but, but Djokovic has thrashed Nadal on clay. From, yeah, he's and a, he's, he's won a slam. He's a better player than Tommy Haas. What more can the bloke do? Well, he can. He. Can. I think we're arguing in two different, <laughs> two different playing fields, David. Do we need to have two different categories? <laughs> yes. Okay, then. Uh, I'll have a think about that, then. So, player of the year so far is actually Novak Djokovic, uh, but player we're most impressed and inspired by is Tommy Haas. Yes. There we go. How about that? Uh, so, uh, what else have we got to talk about? How about the fact that Laura Robson last night thrashed Agnieszka Radbanska, six three six one. Amazing. Did you watch it? Because I, I haven't seen it. All no. I've seen is the scoreline, and I'm blown away by it. Yeah, I, I heard the reports coming through from Jonathan Over and Five Live um, courtside in Madrid, and and I think it was played out on sort of the third major court inside the Magic Box, as it's known, and um, and I think that it, uh, it. I don't know whether it was televised or not, to be honest with you, but but it was certainly a pretty sparsely populated crowd early on and then it, it filled up um, but from from the reports Jonathan was giving she was just on Her, mm. and you know what you know what Laura Robson is like when she's middling the ball there's a purity there's a ping as it comes off the strings and I, I actually tweeted earlier in the day 
<laughs> this makes me look good. Uh, Agnieszka Radvanska will put the tennis ball in parts of the court that Laura Robson won't enjoy. Right now, that's that's how I saw the match. I thought she'd just get tied up in knots by a, a player of Radvanska's savvy nature, and uh, and and that was completely wrong. Look, Robson came out and just bullied Radvanska and knocked her off the court. Well, I predicted the same. I th- I mean, especially after Robson's. This may sound a little harsh, but her slightly poor showing in Argentina on the clay over there. Um, it's a bit harsh. It's a bit... It, she would have been expecting herself to win that, that final singles rubber. I mean, anyway, and just... it's She's a bit, she's a bit like Sharapova on clay, really, isn't she? I mean, un, un, really, un, it doesn't... On paper, it doesn't add up, her being successful. But she obviously has the game to do it. And to have done it against such a contrasting player as Vadvanska, who you'd expect, as you say, to be able to just cannily make life too difficult for Robson, even if she was on and, and middling the ball, you'd expect Vadvanska to have been able to make her not even be able to get to the shots, mm. t- to middle the ball, get to the ball. So um, I think it's a very significant result for Laura. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd agree with you wholeheartedly there. And it does set up the tournament very nicely. Uh, it, I think it sets up Laura Robson's uh, progression nicely because she has gone through a bit of a, a rough time since uh, uh, beating Petra Kvitova at the Australian Open. She had that one run to the doubles final in Miami uh, where we saw her in such good spirits and heard from her here on the tennis podcast from the interviews that we initially did for BBC Radio 5 Live. But I think that... You know, she she's shown. I mean, she's very patchy, Laura Robson. I think she's that kind of player just at the moment. Maybe the consistency will come in time. But over the last, well, less than 12 months, she's beaten a Wimbledon champion in Kvitova. She's beaten a French Open champion in Lienar. She's beaten a woman that won the US Open and Australian titles in Kim Clijsters. Now she's beaten the world number four, Radvanska. There's really only three players in the world she's never beaten, and that's Sharapova, Serena Williams, and uh, Victoria Azarenka. And... On a day, it's all there. It is all there for Laura Robson. I mean, it's early days, but the the, the omens are good. Yeah, because she's so explosive, isn't she? And her, as we've discussed it before, particularly in contrasting her with Heather Watson, where you know Heather's obviously an extraordinary player, but the ceiling for Laura is high, isn't it? I mean, her potential is enormous. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, she's not a one-win wonder over these top players. I think this is her first victory over a top five player, isn't it? Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. The currently ranked top five player, so... Meanwhile, and this is in no way, I'm assured, anything to do with her appearance on the tennis podcast, but Sloane Stephens has gone through a bit of an alarming slump in in recent weeks. Uh, And I noticed as well, in ESPN magazine, um, she she featured in an interview in which she was quite outspoken um, towards Serena Williams. Um, And uh, the suggestion being, I think, that uh, since beating Serena at the Australian Open so spectacularly, Serena might not have taken it that well. And um, uh, and you know what? I think all that's great. <laughs> it is great, isn't it? I mean, she's not famous for being a good loser, Serena Williams, is she? So it's not that much of a surprise, I suppose. I love that, though. I don't want them to be all too no. pally when they lose. Oh, well, I agree. Um, and, I, yeah, I think the press was so desperate. The Australian, they were desperately trying to create this manufacture this story of Serena being Sloane Stephens' mentor in some way and the changing of the guard or the passing of the baton. But actually they'd only met one year previously. They had they'd barely met at all, you know, they're not I'm sure they were perfectly friendly and Serena had give her given her bits of advice here and there, but I don't think it was a mentor mentee situation. So I'm sure she took a loss to her very very, I mean, who wants to be beaten by a young upstart? You know, a lot of players have a big breakout win, don't they? And then it's, it's can you back it up week after week, particularly when, when the, the focus is suddenly upon you? I think, and we've discussed this before, I think Sloane Stevens is the real deal. I think she will come good. I think everybody has a, a bit of a, um, a come down at some point, and, uh, and I think this is hers, and she, they have to find their equilibrium as they go along. Um, but uh, no, I'm, uh, I think we're, we, we're both in agreement there. We are, yep. Yeah, sorry to be boring. Why can't again, we just get on? Are, why yeah. can't we get on with the arguments? I mean, it's so much more fun. Uh, let's see what we can do with the next bit. Uh, Donna Vekic is our special guest here on the tennis podcast. We spoke to her a couple of months ago. She is the youngest player in the women's game, ranked inside the world's top 100. She's coached by David Felgate, who discovered her very early on when she was uh, just, I think, 11 years of age. David will talk to us about that uh, also in the tennis podcast in a few minutes' time. And uh, Donna Vekic, a very, very pleasant person to talk to, and she spoke to us a couple of months ago. Well, it's a pleasure to, to be joined by Donna Vekic, who's the youngest player inside the top 100 now. And here we are in Miami, Donna, you've qualified, you, you've won a round. I mean, it's, it's, it's an exciting time for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, I played very well in Miami coming here playing qualies my main goal was to qualify so winning the round in the manger was a nice bonus and I've just had a chance to to speak to David Felgate who who's coaching you how did you first come across David how how has your coaching relationship started we've been together now for about five six years and no I've been I was introduced by my agent Lawrence Frankopan to him and we had a great connection since the start 
always helps, doesn't it? I mean, if you you've got to get on with your coach. Yeah, because you know, you when traveling when on tour, you're, you're with him basically all the time, and you know you have to get on well on court as well, off court. Is it what is it like um, being a young player making that transition from the junior to the senior game? Is it very different? Well, I made the transition quite early from juniors to seniors, and once I started playing seniors, it was hard to be motivated at juniors. But I mean, just the sooner you start playing seniors, you realise it's it's harder, and then you have to work even harder. And you know that that's just main bit of any sport. You just have to work hard. I suppose as well, it's it's a slightly unusual time because. You're not allowed to play that many events, are you? They have some age eligibility rules. Do, do you find yourself wanting to play more? Um, I think age eligibility rule is, is actually really good because, you know, to prevent burnout. And I think I still have to develop um, on court, on practice court, so I could play. I can play better in matches and improve and use those experience I gain in matches, playing against better players, just use it on the practice court. Now, if I'm not wrong, we're allowed to claim you as British a little bit, a little bit, aren't we? I know. I mean, you are Croatian, but you you, you train in Britain. You've got a, a, a British coach, do you, and you've even got a bit of a British accent, I think. <laughs> well, you know, I've been in, in England for about three, four years now, and um, I, I do like it. I have my friends there, and you know, the great the facilities at Northwood are really great, and I do I do enjoy spending the time in London. You know, I go home quite quite often. You know, I still have lots of schoolwork to do, but um, you no, know, England is nice. I have my friends there, so when I go to Croatia, I just see my family. It's quite hard traveling, not not being to see them as much. But you know, you just have to get used to it. And what's the setup like where you train? Because this is quite an interesting development that uh, David has put together with Joe Jury and with Alan Jones. Well, you know, having uh, Joe and Alan there, it's it's a great. Uh, great day joe gives me quite great advice i mean she she was a great player and you know she still is she still hits the ball really well so it's it's great practicing with her i noticed on on twitter as well you you get a lot of words of encouragement from chris everts have you met her yeah i met her a few times you know we share the same agent but um as growing up i i was i actually looked up to her quite a bit and she was maybe kind of my idol but you know she's she's really she's really great nice person you know i I like seeing her at tournaments. I was going to ask you because, I mean, growing up, I suppose there would be players that you look at and think, "Oh, I wish I could be like her." Are there other players that have inspired you? Um, they all. I mean, every player inspired me in some way. But you know, I was just like, "Oh, I want to get there, and I want to play against them, and I want to beat them." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I suppose that that's the end. The end thing is you need to be able to look at a player as an opponent, don't you? What What's the What's the goal for the year? Well, my personal goal would be to end the year in top 50, but, you know, that that's very high expectations I set for myself. But it would be great to, you know, end the, world, end the year in top 70. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose in some ways things have happened very quickly, haven't they? Because you reached a final of a WTA event last year even. Yeah, I mean, that that tournament in Tashkent was a great experience, you know. I, and then after I trained and practiced and then went to Australia which was not a great experience you know just looking forward to playing some more tournaments knowing Goran I know that he's an incredibly superstitious man and I remember when we were at uh, when he won Wimbledon he had uh, 10 superstitions which were 
including parking in the same space every day and going in the same share every day and all this sort of thing. I saw on your website that you have certain foods that you regard as superstitions. What, what are those? <laughs> well, yeah, su- superstition is a, is, is a weird thing because I like to eat um, the same thing during the tournament. And here, for instance, in Miami, it was cheesecake. You know, I can't, I can't complain <laughs> with that. And it, it, did, it did me well. <laughs> How did you come up with cheesecake as the secret? Um, no, we I mean, you know, Cheesecake Factory in America, so it, it all just like came along, and you know, I, I think I just use it as an excuse to eat something sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll have to do the same myself. That's a very good idea. Well, great talking to you, to you Donna. We we'll, we'll look forward to following your progress, and uh, and the best of luck. Thanks for having me, Donna Vekic, who, for my money, Catherine is definitely one of the stars of the future in the women's game. Yes, and for everyone's money, I think, particularly British people's oh, money. Oh, can't I claim it then? Oh. Joe, I, I, uh, I moderated one of her press conferences in uh, in Australia earlier this year, and we stuck her in one of the small rooms, thinking, you know, adding up how many Croatian journalists there were in town, thinking, eh, just stick her in a small room. There won't be much of a crowd for that one. Every single member of the British press rocked up. <laughs> every single one. And every question was, how British do you feel? Yes, and, and, and every time she replied, look, I love living in Britain, but I'm a very proud Croatian. End of story. But they just kept on, they just wanted one quote of her saying... Goran finds this hilarious, <laughs> by the way. You know, he, he's saying, well, what is it, you, you British people trying to keep cra- claiming well, it, all the Croatian it, it, players? It's, it's absurd as... Spain trying to claim Andy Murray because he went and trained And Australia there. trying to claim Laura Robson. It's absurd. Get out it? of Imagine it. how we'd feel. Well, she was actually born yeah, in Australia. Yeah, that doesn't matter. That is a bit different. Just be quiet, Catherine. There's, there's more We've got of no, a claim. We, we, we need all the ones we can get. Australia has more of a claim on Ro- Laura Robson than we have on, on Donna no, Vekic. No, it doesn't. I'm delighted. She I'm trains delighted. and plays in Britain. She's half British, is Donna Vekic, almost. I'm well, delighted 38%. that we have had some small part in her success up to now, but she is Croatian. What percent can we have? 18? Well, it depends. We, the royal we. I don't think <laughs> David Felgate would be very happy about us talking in terms of we, would he? No, sorry, David. Uh, as you'll hear from David Felgate, he uh, came into contact with Donna Vekic at a very early age. You're not one for grand predictions, but how good is she? How good can she be? You know, I, I really don't know, and that's why sometimes I, I get upset when people upset, you know, out there, oh, this player's going to do this, or this player's going to do this. I, I think you have to be really, really exceptional this day, and I think it's tougher and tougher. You know, it used to be on the women's tour, we were talking about Hingis and those, you could say, oh, yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be stars. I mean, where is she now? She's 90 in the world. I just set the next goal at top 50. And the other thing I do as well, it's not, I don't, set those goals oh you've just got to get to 50 I, I look at year-end ranking to me that's the most important I know some players will say oh well I'll always look at my highest ranking whenever I look at a player's record at whatever level I take a look at their year-end rankings because it's through the course of the year I, I know the rankings is a 52-week revolving but you know we all really in our minds start in January and we go to the year-end championships so I take a look at that I've taken a look at I clearly know what the likes of Azarenka, Wozniacki, I know what they've all done and what they've achieved at different ages. And one isn't benchmarking. But, um, yeah, she'll be upset with me for not, uh, you know, sticking a number on it and saying how good she can actually be. But I, I'm just going to go as far. Now she's 16. She's 17 halfway through Wimbledon. And top 50 is the next benchmark. I mean, you know, you, 
you deal with it a lot with young Laura, you know, who's got great talent and people are talking her up, aren't they? And some saying that she looks, plays like Davenport, she can be top 10, she can do this, she can do that. Well, you know, what is Laura now? I think just inside 50, is she in the world? She's got two years on Donna in age, you know. Uh, Laura's born 94, Donna's born 96. So she's ahead of she's ahead of the curve at the moment, but it's meaningless. I mean, it's all about uh, next week in Mexico. You mentioned Donna would get upset with you. Does she sometimes say, yeah, how could you think I can be, David? Well, uh, she doesn't say that, but I know she says it, and with her dad. And I think they, uh, whilst I'll push her on that, is... It's just not my nature, and it's it's not because I'm sitting on the fence. I just don't see a, I just don't see a need for it because all you ever hear it, it's like people then like to turn around and told you so they were going to be good. For, but for all of those, and you've been in this sport for a long time now, how many people have got it wrong? They never pop up to the press room and say, "Oh, I got it wrong, didn't I, David?" Or "I got that match wrong," or you know, I mean, they, they just don't do it. So it's just very. Very easy, and if she continues success, you watch, we'll be doing five live, and people will pop in and say, yeah, I always knew she was going to be a player, and I watched her at 11. I've logged all the people who have watched her from 11 and haven't said diddly about her. So if she ever makes it really big, I'll, uh, I'll name the list. <laughs> Are we allowed to claim her a little bit? Because she trains oh, yeah, in, in England, yeah. doesn't she? Sure we can claim her. I mean, she's an anglophile. I think she's, <laughs> she'll say, if you speak to her, she, she'd love to live in the UK. She spends a lot of time there. Uh, training what she has done for five years um, and uh, now uh, we've got our setup up in Northwood and if we're not traveling I mean she does the occasional week at home for schooling she's there training with all the other British players so absolutely I mean I'd say well you chat with her her English is uh, very good word perfect I, I think I think I'm right in saying and I don't know if she told me this old parents is her, in, her English is she had some problems with her Croatian at school because she just she thinks in English, her friends on a BBM, you know, it's, it's all English. So, uh, yeah, we can claim her a little bit, absolutely. But she's through and through Hrvatsky, which is Croatian, as you know. And just finally, she is part of not only, she's not the only person you're working with, is she? You are trying to do something for the greater good and, and, for, and to try to get more players like Donna Vekic. Yes, back in um, January of well the, the story started before that but 012 we set up uh, with the ben- benefactor Clive and Sally Sherling uh, we set up JTCF which is Junior Tennis Coaching Foundation which is a charity and then an operating arm of JTC which can offer scholarships and so we wanted to find a home and we, we went to a, through a couple of homes but we eventually set up with uh, Virgin Active up in Northwood and it's myself and Alan Jones and Joe Jury. Alan was my coach. When I played Lendor, he was sat there. And we've got a couple of young coaches as well. One is Alan's son, Ryan Jones, and the other is Naomi Cavaday, who I coached, who had match points over Hingis. Good. Mm-hmm. All, keep it all in the family. And uh, so we've got a couple of international players. We've got also Borna Koric, who is the same age as Donna and is number four in the world in the junior ITF boys. Mm-hmm. We have a Serbian girl who's a younger. But the main focus of what Clive wanted to do is he personally put some money into those players to help develop. And he was, how could we really help some of these British players? I said, if we could set something up where we can subsidize the coaching, that would be great. And that's what he did and true to his word. And so we're now 14 months in. And I think one of the things one wants to say in 
because people have said, oh, you're launching this now. Is We're not launching it, and there's no, there's been too many false storms in British tennis, and we're not saying we're better than anybody or any worse. We just wanted to put the message out there. This is what we do. This is what we believe in. And there's many ways to skin a cat. There's many ways to coach. And so if we're not the right setup, that's okay. But the focus was really only on having about 20 players. We're not looking to be this great academy. It's not a business per se. Obviously, one needs to pay the coach's time. But we're looking for players who we think have got a chance. And that varies from coach to coach. So, again, doesn't mean we're right or wrong. And they can't all make it. Education is important for us. I, I think kids who are dedicated to their education tend to be good on the tennis court as well. And whether that's through, I think that's a parental choice, whether that's going to the local school. We do have education on site, private tuition, which has costs with that. But we can, we can work around whatever because we're there all the time. And as I say, some of the players will maybe only be good enough in the end. They'll go on to college uh, scholarships in the US or in the UK. But you need, I think when players are developing, they need friends, they need groups and and peers and and people that they can hang out with. And Clive and Sally have been wonderful. They've invested in the program. They've invested in accommodation for the players. And so that's where we are. So we're not uh, launching now. We've actually been out there for 13, 14 months. But I guess with Donna's success, and we had that down in Australia, where do you train? Where, uh, there, is, there is a story. And so that's where she does. But isn't it great for some of the British girls who, uh, there's, you know, and some of the guys there who are there training alongside her and have seen her do exactly the same drills and have heard me barking out uh, voices and and Alan and Joe as well and great for Donna as well that she's got a bit of a mentor there as well in Joe Jury who was four in the world Uh, couldn't be much better great to talk to you David thank you thank you very much so there's David Felgate who's seen it all before Catherine and uh, and I have to say he's done a cracking job so far hasn't he because uh, not only is Donna Vekic posting some pretty amazing results she also comes across as very down to earth as though she's been told all the right things by somebody who's just not going to take any nonsense. She's got incredible poise for a 16-year-old, really incredible. Um, and it all seems very genuine, as you say, very down-to-earth. It doesn't seem like she's trying to behave in any particular way for the press. Um, the only thing I would say about it is that when she came in to do that interview, she was so entertaining to talk to off mic in as much as she was she was a little bit gossipy and a, a, a very curious about our job and, and sort of lots of questions about David Felgate, all sorts of things, you know. And then when the microphones went on, you could see she wasn't quite sure how you're meant to behave in interviews really yet. And, and so I think she went into what she perceived was interview mode, mm. uh, which I think is quite common among players. I, I always remember Tim Henman doing that, in fact, uh, ironically, given, given the fact that they, they share the, the same coach over, the, over different generations. But Tim would, would be so chatty and engaging and relaxed off, the, off mic, and then once microphones would go on, he would become Tim Henman interviewee. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good example, Tim. He's, he's just so different to, to how he comes across in the media, isn't he? I think, you know, it could be that she's 16 and she'll grow into it, or it could be that she just isn't suited to that side of things and will always be ever so slightly awkward or, or her full personality won't come across. But either way, I think so long as she handles it with mature... You know, some people have got it in, in terms of the media and some people haven't but as long as she continues to handle herself with the maturity that she has done up until now she'll she'll be fine you know she'll 
she'll flourish, I think. Well, David is uh, holding back from making too many grand predictions, quite rightly, given that he's her coach. Shall we? How high is Tona Vekic going to get? Top ten in the world? Grand Slam champion? Well, Catherine is- Whittaker's verdict is... Well, she's coming along at a very good time, isn't she? You know, the thing I said on the last podcast about timing is everything in tennis, and it's often not given enough credit as a factor in, in a player's success. I think she's she she could come along at a time when there's a bit of a window. There'll be Laura Robson, there's Sloane Stevens, there's a couple, you know, there's a couple of others maybe. But I I think top five. There we go. I said it. Blimey. I waffled a bit first, but I said it in the end. David Felgate's never going to forgive me for this. He hates it when I come out with grand predictions, particularly about his own players. But uh, sorry, Dave, that's what we're here for, uh, to give our verdict on, on what we think. I share Catherine's view to an extent. I think Donovekic is, is top ten material of the future. I think top five is rarefied is a rarefied atmosphere and, and you have to have something a little bit different. That's not to say that Donovekic doesn't have it. I just don't know whether she has it at all. I think you can you can be a certain level to get to the top ten and I think getting into the top five you have to have something just a little bit different again. Um, will she get there? I've no idea. But uh, I think she definitely has the game to go a long way in the sport and uh, and we wish her the very best of luck. Having said that, though, there's a higher turnover of top five five players in the women's game there's a lot more players in the women's game that can say they've been top five than in the men's the the turnover at the top is higher there's more opportunity you you might not have the opportunity to have the longevity there but there's more opportunity well there has been recently in the last decade certainly because uh, as you say Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, uh, Federer have all basically monopolised those top four positions in the men's game but if you go back further than that I think it did it was more fluid Yeah you're probably right I suppose maybe that's more of a as much of a reflection on the men's game And, and the fact that you weren't, you, you weren't born early enough to remember any time before that generation correct? Well quite <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> I tell you what, Catherine. I'm not embarrassed of my youth, David. No, well, uh, uh, those are the days. I remember them well when I was. Uh, oh dear, well, I think I won't go there. It's the sun is shining though here at the Queen's Club, home of the Aegon Championships, where we will be in a month from now, uh, leading up to one of the one of the great stops on the tennis calendar, followed by Wimbledon, of course. And uh, Catherine, this is a joy. It's been a pleasure to talk to you on the tennis podcast, more so than ever. Likewise. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed listening to us and uh, we'll speak to you soon.